With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> Don't get people's hopes up. Hello, welcome to Random Access Memories, the show where I interview somebody about their gaming history. This week I'm joined by Scott, who you'll have heard from many podcasts, like Simply Syndicated Movie News and... Uh, uh, God, all these names have gone from my head because my back <laughs> is killing me. Uh, remote Patrol. Oh, boy. And what else, Scott? Because we'll there. there's we'll, more we'll than that, isn't it. there? Yeah. I, yes. I, I started on uh, Movies You Should See. That was the first one that I ever did with Simply Syndicated. Um, I think Make It So had stopped before I, uh, before I really got involved with any recording. Um, but then there was for a brief time, my own show, um, which was next time, the comic book television prediction podcast. Um, that didn't last very long. I, I, I fell off the train because I found it much more difficult than I anticipated to not only do a show with no co-host, but I chose to write my show beforehand uh. rather than, rather than do the whole thing extemporaneously. I decided to write it out and read my script and, Writing is hard. It takes ages, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It really does. And way, yeah, way more than you anticipate. And it was completely my fault. I should have, I, I should have trained. I should have, uh, you know, done some writing exercises. I should have got myself in writing shape before I tried doing that show, but I didn't. So it didn't last very long, but, um, some episodes are still available on my website, www.planetrisecreative.com. Uh, my SoundCloud account went from pro down to the free one, so there's only a couple episodes left, but they're there if anyone's interested. Cool. But today, the video games, I'm actually quite excited about this one, to be honest, because, right, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with my, my original first question. So how old are you and where did you grow up? Uh, well, currently I am 38 years old and... I was born and raised in the same city I'm in right now, which is uh, uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan, in the uh, southwest, uh, we'll call it quadrant, southwest region of the state. Cool. See, I'm kind of, I, I think age is going to be a big factor in all of this stuff. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm kind of keeping a record of that. And also location, obviously. So do you, do you remember the first computer game you played? Well, are we talking about the first computer game or the first video game well, the, that I the, played? The first processor-driven piece of entertainment. Okay. Um, that would probably be, and I, th- there's a reason this was the first thing on the list that I sent you uh, the other day, was um, our household had the Magnavox Odyssey 2. Boom. This is why I'm excited. <laughs> And there, not many people these days that I talk to remember what that is. I was, I, to be honest, I was very surprised that, that you knew what it was. But that's because I have this bad habit of just assuming that uh, England is a different planet. And nothing that you have is the same as over here. 
<clears throat> well, to a certain extent, um, especially with computers in the 70s and 80s, we kind of were a different planet. Uh, but the Magnavox Odyssey 2 is one thing that existed in both universes. Um, mm-hmm. Over here, it was called the Philips G7000, uh, put out by Philips, obviously, which is a weird concept. The idea that someone is just making a console and in other countries, different people put that console out. You know, mm-hmm. imagine getting the, the, the Philips switch or, or something like that. Um, <laughs> but that is precisely what happened. That that is absolutely what happened. So you got the Magnavox Odyssey too. We had the Philips G seven thousand, um, and you're my first guest to have had this machine. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> it was it, to not to um, misrepresent it, um, because it, we we talk about it as something that not many people are familiar with. So it's going to sound like it wasn't a big deal, but it was one of the 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 biggest points of my childhood it 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 was always there not only did i play it as much as i could my brother 3 years older than me played it as much as he could but one of the clearest memories that i have of the game system is my brother and i going to bed at whatever our early bedtime was probably something that back then is probably about 8 p.m. or so and we could hear our parents playing the Odyssey 2 downstairs in the living room while we were trying to go to sleep. <laughs> I sent I sent a note to you along with my list um, uh, citing a particular game. Did you happen to, look, happen to look it up? I haven't looked it up yet. Pickaxe Pete. Yes. Anyone who had the Odyssey, I hope you remember the game Pickaxe Pete. It's vaguely Donkey Kong in its, uh, in its game mechanic where uh, the... The, the entire screen is one level. It's just simple platforms that go all the way up the screen um, uh, from the, the extreme right to the extreme left, sometimes with breaks in, the, in that platform, sometimes not. You have to get your character up ladders to the, uh, the platforms above and get to the door in the center at the top of the screen. But you have to find and catch a key in the process. And as you're working your way up there, you have boulders that are randomized. They will fall out of the sky or sometimes come out of doors in the middle of the the level. Uh, There's absolutely no warning to when they're going to come out. So you can't you can't try to time it out. You can't, you know, watch for a signal to know when to avoid it. No, you just got to cross your fingers. If you're anywhere near that door, you have literally a 50 50 chance of getting struck with a rock coming out of it. And if two boulders collide, they might form a key. Or if you find a pickaxe rather like the, the mallet in Donkey Kong, then you can break some of the boulders and you might find a key. Once you get the key, you go to the top, get to the door, you go on to the next level. And the, the level transition screen to show that you are exiting one level, moving on to the next is your character. And for people who aren't familiar with the Odyssey 2, you need to look it up online and see the graphic resolution for these games. If you think you know pixelated, you don't. <laughs> yeah, uh, you haven't lived. Uh, I will point out, first of all, I have played this game. I've definitely played this game. This okay. is stirring some very, very young childhood memories. The picture of the, the cover and the game itself with the sounds. 
uh, I've just looked at it. You, uh, if you go to archive.org, um, hang on, or is it archive.com? No, it's archive.org. Um, they have a number of online emulators uh, because they keep records of games. Uh, and this is on there. I've just seen it running. They've got, hang on, Magnavox Odyssey 2. Let's see what they've got. Pickaxe Pete, Munchkin. Lots and lots and lots of Odyssey 2 games. You can just click on them and play them in your browser. Wait, so you're, you're saying that it is possible for me to go to archive.org and play Pickaxe Pete right now? Yes, absolutely. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, this episode is over. Goodbye, everybody. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw it running while you were telling me about it. Oh. Okay, right. I mean, you'll find links as you go to archive.org, but it's archive.org slash details slash library underscore Magnavox underscore Odyssey 2. There there are links from the front page. Uh, and they've got just 122 games. I need to find that immediately. Yeah. Not only do I need to find it, but I need to send a link to my parents so they can play it too. <laughs> they also have ZX Spectrum games, Vetrix games, Atari 2600 games. Oh, we'll be talking about some of those too. MS-DOS games, CD-ROM software. Oh, this is all very interesting. I haven't looked at this properly. I've talked about it so many times on Tech It or Leave It or whatever, but I've never actually taken the time to look at it, and it is full of Magnavox Odyssey 2 software. I'll have to see if they have any any Commodore games as well. I can't see Commodore Commodore ones. Oh. Um, but yeah, Spectrum games, that's as close as we might get. Um, and it all works in your browser. And there's an internet arcade of old arcade games as well, like Outrun, Defender, Astro Blaster. We're way off already. Sorry. Yeah, the Magnavox I- Odyssey 2. Do you remember the cartridges for these things? Because that was the... That was what sticks in my mind the most about them. That that sleek uh, uh, black design cartridge with the handle on top. Yeah, they needed a handle. Mm-hmm. That- this is before <laughs> before the advent of the eject button. That I, as far as I know, started with the Super Nintendo. I never saw anything before that. I'm looking now. I think you might be right. I think but you're you, right. Yeah, you had to. You had to place one hand flat on the console, grab the handle of the cartridge, and pry it out of there. And this was, and I, I mean, maybe I'm remembering it the, the way I am because I was a child at the time. But I, I, it wasn't just put your hand on it. It was like put the weight of your body on it and grab this right. thing with two hands and pull it out of there. <laughs> there was no, I'll just quickly change it. It was an, an engineering operation. Though it, mm-hmm. it never felt odd that these things had handles on the top. That was clearly how it was meant to operate. Right. And I thinking back on it, it seems like rather a smart idea. It, it shows that um, the manufacturers knew who was going to be using it. Yeah, I, I suppose so. They, they needed something that would let the children get the game out. I don't think and an with, adult with, would have stood a chance without the handle. I honestly don't. I, it, it was just... <laughs> insane it, it speaks to the build quality I, mm-hmm. I don't remember as ever breaking um and i i it only left our possession because we gave it to another family member uh i think that's what happened and and so it as far as i know it just worked forever 
I'm not sure when the last time was I tried playing it. I, I made I made a very poor decision and I sold that Odyssey 2 only about a decade ago. Uh, but the family had the system and many games um, in storage up until about 10 years ago, at which point I took possession of it and I sold it along with... <sighs> along with our Atari and all the games we had for that to buy furniture for my first marriage. Oh, but that's one of those, like if you've got, that's a reasonable thing. Like, I mean, it's not like reasonable at the time, but I look back on it now. Not only was that, was that marriage, nothing but a, just a pile of hot misery, but I don't even have any of that furniture anymore. Well, yeah, I mean, but in hindsight, that's fair enough. But I mean, at the time, I, I've, you know, I want to buy furniture because I've got married and that's so that, you know, you can't really argue with that. That's a sensible use of things. But still, there's I nobody doesn't regret trading in or selling their old stuff. Mm-hmm. Except maybe Nick's wife, who has to live with all of Nick's old stuff. <laughs> so I, I don't know it swings and roundabouts depends who you are uh yeah apparently their attic's just full of it uh but there you go i i just the magnavox odyssey 2 which by the way is is considered a second generation game console there there because it's well the magnavox odyssey 2 so the right. magnavox odyssey of course preceded it but that was one you needed uh sort of an overlay for your television screen, like a plastic sheet. Because all the... All, all the Odyssey the, 1, you mean? Yeah, yeah. All, yeah. All, all the console could do was put two boxes on the screen that could move around. So you needed an overlay to, like, if you wanted it to be a maze, you needed the, the thing that stuck onto your TV screen that looked like a maze, for example. I think mm-hmm. that the jump in technology from first generation to second generation is represented by the second generation being able to, like, make there be graphics. <laughs> you right. know, um, which is... You, you, you didn't have to modify your television. It would just do the whole thing for you. Yeah. And I, anything that required a screen overlay was, I think, just before my time. Oh, yeah. Cause, so you, you and I are the same age. So you, um, you were born in 79? Or, yes. Yeah, so... Yeah, first generation console is is considered seventy two to eighty, and and second is seventy six to ninety two. So, yeah, we'd have been slap bang in the middle of second generation, mm-hmm. really. Which is why you know the the Magnavox Odyssey two makes sense, and and so is the the Atari twenty six hundred, and indeed the fifty two hundred. Mm-hmm. I had them both. Now that that's the other thing, the fifty two hundred. Now that's considered. Not a good thing uh, these days. How did you find it at the time? What was... I, I believe that that was another example of of my father being quietly the type of person who wanted the shiny new thing uh, as far as technology goes. Um, I mean, my, my father had us uh, hooked up to the, what I call the original Internet 1.0. Right. Um, you know, dial-up connection, um, uh, communicating via text with other computers. But this is before the days of websites, before even the days of um, online bulletin boards and BBSs, even before those were a thing. 
This is the war um, games days. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, and there's <laughs> one of the funniest things that I recall from being young, as far as technology in the house goes, was my dad always had these grand plans to not go out and buy a light pen, but to build one that we could use at home. Ah, the light pen. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> that was a thing, wasn't it? Um, he he never succeeded. We never had a light <laughs> pen in the house. Yeah, and it, and in, it never happened. And indeed, what would you have done with one? What did anybody do with one? Um, I, at this point, I can't even remember. I just know that we wanted it, and my brother and I were constantly pestering him. When are you going to buy this light pen? Can we use this to make it? Can we use that to make it? Hey, look, there's a new Atari. Now we're distracted, and we would go use that. It was, I think it was simply a matter of the Atari 5200 came out. We had the 2600. My dad wanted the new one, so we put the 2600 aside, and we brought in the 52. Now, I, I might be wrong. I'm hoping that my parents don't listen to the show because then my dad's going to call me up and tell me how wrong I am. But in my mind, that's the only explanation is that the new one was out. Makes they sense. thought it would be neat. They thought it'd be neat to have it. It was it was, for us. It was just an upgrade from the previous Atari to the new one. And I personally never noticed a difference in the quality or any disappointment in the 5200. But I'm sure a lot of that comes from the fact that any any new games that were released for the 5200, I was so young that we just viewed them as just an extension of the 2600 games, which we still had and which still ran on the 52. So, right, it was it was just the same system, most of the same games with a couple new ones, and it just looked a little different on the outside. See, there was, you know, five years between the 2600 and the 5200. So it's not unreasonable to just, like you say, like, oh, there's the new one. And so you get that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I, I never had an Atari. Um, it wasn't something I ever, ever got to. So you never got the joy of E.T., the extraterrestrial? No, the sadly Atari, not. No. The Atari game? I, I just we just had the 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 G seven thousand, um. With let me see, I've got the list here. See what what I love about gaming in this era is how basic a lot of it was because a lot of it had never been thought of yet, and some of that is sort of making things more appealing. So, for example, the game baseball. We we haven't invented celebrity tie-ins. We haven't invented franchises, whatever. This is just the game of baseball. and It's the, the, re- it's the red team versus the blue team. Yeah. And uh, that was it. it. It was. That was it. With men made of five pixels and things like that, because that's how big the pixels were. And other games such as football, hockey, golf. You know, just th- this is what this is. This is just golf. And it wasn't great. Odyssey, Odyssey baseball infuriated me so much as a young, young child. I, I have a clear memory of being brought to tears by my frustration with the game because the way it's supposed to work is if, if you are the team at bat, no, I'm sorry, strike that. If you are, if you're the team that is pitching, there's a way on your controller to switch from one player on the field to a different one. So you can choose which player you're going to control and have the run, try to catch the ball, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. 
because I was so young, I never figured out how to change my uh, change to my outfield characters. So I would pitch. My brother would be at bat and he'd hit it and the ball would go to the outfield. And then everyone in the room gets to watch as I have my catcher run out to the outfield to pick up the ball. Oh, that must so have been, yeah. It's a home run every time. <laughs> oh, dear. That's not fun for long. It That wound me up so much. I, m- more than once, I had, you know, dropped the joystick, run upstairs, and just be upset. Do you know what you just reminded me of now? I miss those joysticks. Oh, it, ours um, over here, I remember the, the most common one, I think it was called the I think we called it a gem stick, but it was spelled gem stick, like G E M stick, the square black base. Yeah. With the, the black cylinder shooting straight up and an orange button in the corner. If you were lucky, there were two orange buttons, one in each upper corner. So you, you know, good for righties and lefties. Yeah. We didn't, our, our button was black here. It's, it's quite jarring when I look at pictures of the console and it has that that controller with the red button but the the controllers were identical but our button was black that that's oh, okay. um but i i still remember the feel of that joystick and its spring-based return to center that mm-hmm. felt so good it was it was such a good joystick and it, it wasn't an analog uh device but it can it worked like that you know so it just was very smooth i, mm-hmm. I remember it very clearly the feel of that controller <coughs> I'd, I'd love a joystick of that quality again. I really would, uh, because the joysticks that sort of soon followed it just plummeted in quality. Yeah. Uh, you know, this was still back in the days of, of good ones, and it had nice long cables on it and that sort of thing. Do you remember ever using the keyboard for anything? Mm, no. I know it was there. I know I often wondered what it was for, but no, I, I, I don't think I ever used that keyboard for anything. There might have been, you know, I think there might have been uh, software on board in the console with with no cartridge inserted. And I think it had some base software that would use the keyboard, but I, I never remember what it was for, uh, what it, what its use could be, and I don't remember truly using it myself. You know, as soon as I asked the question, I remembered a game we had that used it, and I'm trying to look, I'm just going through the list of odyssey 2 games trying to find it it was a mastermind game and you needed to be able to input letters i mean call it say saying you needed to be input in text feels a bit over the top <laughs> right uh but you you were inputting letters and i i think we had to use you had to select one or two because uh there would be different versions of the game on each cartridge so you would need to select which version of the game you wanted to play. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Because I, yeah, that that's right. Because that's why I've been having trouble with it on my Raspberry Pi. Because you've got, while the Raspberry Pi is, is certainly more than capable of emulating the G7000, uh, you, you still need to be able to press one or two. So you've got to have a damn keyboard connected to the thing just to press one for you know while you boot the game that's it i think it was mastermind i can't find it now can't find it i feel like it was actually on a game on a cartridge with a cat and mouse 
chase game as well. Huh. They they numbered all the games in these days. Uh, that I don't remember. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so let's see. Baseball was game number eight. Golf was game number ten. Uh, and so f- the f- there were forty-seven games, which doesn't seem like a lot to be honest. No, it doesn't. It it feels like we had more when I was growing up. I know we didn't, but in, in my memory, it was just a an unending sea of games. We always had choices, but I'm sure it was more like a dozen. Now and then. it only got worse with with every successive console because then we had the Atari, um, which and there were no. I think these were um, uh, Odyssey games actually, but they they were um, licensed games based on um, the movie Tron. Do you remember these? I do. That was a big deal. There were two of them. I think Tron Deadly Discs, and I can't remember the name of the other one. Oh, would it have been like one of the light cycle racing things? I won't won't say that they didn't have one, but I know we did not have a light cycle game. Um, The Deadly Discs, that was an arena game. It's you versus another player, and you have to throw your disc uh, at your opponent and and try to hit them, and whoever gets the best score at the end wins. The other was uh, more of a uh, a platformer. Is this the fifty two hundred or the twenty six hundred? No, I think I think this might still have been um, for the Odyssey. Oh, hang on, Adventures of Tron. That that's probably it. Uh, that's twenty six hundred. I can't. They've not got screenshots. Um. Could be that. Oh, this video. That looks like a platforming game. Adventures of Tron. Tron was one of those things. It really obviously lent itself to being a computer game. Uh, but, yeah, and Tron Deadly Discs, that all, that's also the 2600. Okay, yeah. Um, I know. I, I knew that a lot of those games were going to blend together in my mind as far as what system they were for, because it was all so long ago for me. And they, they all look very similar. Uh, yeah. And But, yeah, Atari seemed to really get in with movie tie-ins and, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, there were all the Star Wars games for Atari. There, you know, so many things like that, and, and the Tron games and Star Trek games, then it goes on, anything that they could do. And there wasn't really anything like that for the, the Odyssey 2. It, mm-hmm. it was really only Atari that got into that. Um, That's where things start to break a lot of new ground as far as what not only what the games could do but where the games could come from um you had as we just said we had movie tie-ins with a lot of atari games uh and not only that but atari was the and correct me if i'm wrong i'm i'm certain i'm not but atari was the first um home gaming console to port pac-man that was the first time you could play it outside of the arcade was on the atari Hang on. Not that it looks, not that it looked anything like the arcade version at all. Oh, nor God, did it no. sound like it. Um, and in fact, the Atari version was not well thought of. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see what we can find. Oh no, that's the arcade version. Oh, here we go. Oh, wait, no. The Wikipedia page for Pac-Man is not helpful. 
at all. Atari twenty six. According to the Wikipedia page, you'd think the first home release of uh, Pac-Man was in nineteen ninety three on the Genesis, and <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure it wasn't. Um, that's just me, though. Maybe I'm wrong. There definitely was a. There, there were lots of Pac-Man clones back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, God, this this is an awful Wikipedia page. That is that is the most complicated thing I've ever looked at on Wikipedia. I have to close <laughs> that because it's it's angering me. Um, well, just doing a quick search of Atari Twenty Six Hundred Pac-Man, and I see a screenshot from the game, and sure enough, that's exactly the one I'm thinking of. And I know in the past I've seen these screenshots used in uh, articles and discussions of the first home port of that game. And it was, it was not great. For example, for example, the the point of Pac-Man is doing collected dots, right? Yeah. No dots in this game at all. It's dashes. Yeah. It's, it's horrendous. Pac-Man really liked math because he just went around collecting subtraction symbols. And every now and again, he'd get a square that would make him change colors. Well, let me tell you, I'll read the opening paragraph from the, the Wikipedia page for the, the Atari 2600 version of Pac-Man. And it says, they released it in 1982, a port of Namco's hit arcade game Pac-Man for the 2600. Uh, the game was programmed by Todd Fry, who was given a very limited time, to, uh, time frame by Atari to complete the project. The technical differences between the Atari 2600 console and the original arcade's hardware particularly the amount of available memory, presented several challenges to Fry. Given the popularity of the property, Atari produced approximately 12 million units, which was more than the estimated number of Atari 2600 consoles sold at the time. (laughs) While the port is the best-selling Atari 2600 game of all time, selling an estimated 7 million copies, and was the best-selling home video game of all time when it was released, Critics focused on the gameplay and audio-visual differences from the arcade version. Initially, the port, uh, port boosted the video game industry's presence in retail, uh, and then followed by sequels. Yeah, it it didn't go down well, but it also went down well, <laughs> which is it, odd. It, right. It, it was ambitious, and it brought a lot of attention. But at the same time, if you're looking at it from that standpoint, then it was a great success. But if you're looking at it from the the standpoint of comparing it to the the original, then yeah, it, it wasn't that great. Ah, uh, the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Just I I think you, we have trouble now comprehending how basic these things were. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's all about getting the high score and all that sort of thing, which is very odd. Um, I'm going to move us on then to your third generation console, the Sega Uh Master System. I remember having so many good memories about it, but I can't remember the actual memories of, of all the consoles (laughs) that I, that I put on my list. My memories of the Sega Master System are the, are the, are the vaguest and the foggiest. Um, I know there were a couple games on there that I really enjoyed playing. I remember I had Shinobi. And I think there was a, a shooter, a, a, an, an old timey uh, first person shooter uh, for, I want to say Rambo three. I don't and remember was, that. It's, it's not surprising because it wasn't all that great. Um, but 
for people who might not be aware for our, let's say younger listeners who are familiar with the current definition of a first person shooter. Back in the days of the Sega master system, a first person shooter took the form of you have one view on the screen. Um, say you, know, you have your battlefield view, you have a building on the right building to the left, a building straight ahead and bad guys will appear and come toward you. And sometimes, um, uh, helicopters or planes might appear in the sky and come toward you. You cannot shift your, uh, your view or your perspective. There's no changing of the camera view. All you can do with your controller is with the directional controls, move your crosshairs around the screen, hope that you can get it to stop over where you need it to fire. And then you push your button. That was, that was first person shoot em ups. Absolutely. Uh, and that was all there was to it. And you just had to hope that you, could the only way to, to get it done was to memorize the sequence of when the guys were going to be showing up. So you knew where to have your crosshairs ready. That's the only way you're going to get anywhere in those games. Cause this, they're coming off the back of arcade games where you could shoot at the screen because you could have an enormous screen. And I, I think, you know, the, the very famous example of this would be operation wolf, yes. uh, which of course had the arcade cabinet with the, the Uzi attached to it. Uh, no, two two Uzis, so you can have a two, two player game. Two Uzis was Operation Thunderbolt, which was the the sequel to Operation Wolf. Uh, and that was the I actually I had that on the Amstrad, and you're absolutely right. You would use the joystick to move crosshairs around the screen, and that would move as fast as it moved. Um, you know, there was no mouse to control it or anything like that, mm-hmm. and it was basically an on rails shooter done from a first person perspective and yeah, men would just pop up and you have to shoot them before they shoot you, which is difficult. And of course it's an arcade game. So it's designed to be ridiculous. Right. So you can just keep on spending the money. And when you're playing those shooters that you have to move your crosshairs with the controller, you are definitely hamstrung by the fact that they can only program the crosshairs to move up to a certain speed because if they go too fast, then you lose your, um, your ability to control it. You will always overshoot your target. You'll never be able to get anywhere in the game. So it has to move slow enough that your reaction time will allow you to stop the crosshairs where you need them to be, but they don't necessarily program your enemies to keep that in mind. So the enemies will start coming so fast. There's no way you can get your crosshairs where you need them. So when they started introducing games that you could actually shoot at the screen with a light weapon, either in the arcades or at home, then that opened up a whole new level of play. And of all the peripherals that we could have gotten for our home systems, that was the one that I wish we had had the most. Because I don't think I ever had um, any sort of a light gun for um, the Sega Master System or the Genesis. I know they were out there, but I never had them. Yeah, it was the, what was it called? Was it the zap gun for the, the master system? Something like that. I, 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 I too so. didn't have a, a light gun and would have loved one. And I'm, I'm a bit sore now that they don't work with LCD televisions. So I can't get one unless yeah. I'm willing to get a CRT TV up here. And I'm not. So uh, that's it. They're done with forever. Mm-hmm. And, and they, as prominent as they were, in the early 80s with the, the NES with Duck Hunt and the, 
Master System had its own one, and, and they stuck around, you know, right up to PS2. We, you were getting Time Crisis with the light gun and the pedal and mm-hmm. stuff like that. It, it really was a cool thing that, that stayed around for ages. I'm trying to remember the one that was with the Genesis. Um, it pro- probably, well, I don't know if this if it came with the Genesis, but I believe it was available for the Genesis, and it was a fairly big deal when it came out, when they ported the uh, arcade game Lethal Enforcers. Oh, yeah, it was the, I remember it now. The Menace of Light Gun. Yep. And it's and a, it, it, a big oversized um, Magnum revolver. Oh, that that is also there. Yeah. I'm, I'm, do you know what? There's actually quite a few. Uh, but there's more like there's one like a bit of a Walter PPK James Bond one. The, oh, okay. I'm seeing I've just done it, you know, just Google image search for Sega Genesis light gun. And there's the there is the big oversized Magnum one, like you say. And I think, yeah, the official Sega one with its its binocular viewfinder on top and things like this. I think this <laughs> it right. And I'm I'm looking at you, Nintendo, as well. Right. It went too far too quickly. Right. Because while Sega brought out this behemoth of a thing, the SNES had the, the super scope as well. Like what's better <laughs> than a light gun? A light bazooka. Right. <laughs> like, chill out, guys. Whoa. <laughs> you know, that that was a bit over the top. Well, they, they wanted they wanted to make uh, accessories and peripherals that not only could you use with the games, but when you turn off the system, you could take your super scope light bazooka and your power glove and you can go cosplay outside without the game. The power glove, that's another thing. Yeah, like I seem to get a bit ridiculous here. I never got a power glove to work properly. Anytime I would go to a friend's house who had the system and the power glove, never worked. Never. No, it was garbage. I, I think that's what a lot of people have found out to their disappointment. But I, I firmly believe the reason it sold so well was because aesthetically it was very well designed. Some of these are really quite nice and futuristic for the early 80s, actually. I'm looking at the Master System one. And gosh, there's a picture of it here with its box, and it's called the Sega Light Phaser. I can't imagine why they had to change that name. Um, <laughs> but that's that's what it is. Oh, hang on. that's Yeah, the Sega Menacer for Sega Genesis. And the picture of the guy on the box, he's got two hands on it. It's attached to his chest. He's looking through the binoculars and at his television three feet away. (laughs) Oh, Sega, you were funny back in the day. Do you have any... Are there any games that tug on your memories for the Master System? Um, Really, only the two that I... Uh, that I already specified, which was uh, um, Shinobi and Rambo three. And and now that I'm thinking of it, I believe uh, I, I think space Harrier might've been a master system game. I believe it was. Uh, so it, it would have been those and afterburner. Those are the only master system games I can clearly remember without, uh, without looking it up. Afterburner. That was a, a summertime holiday coin guzzler for me. Mm-hmm. 
uh, loved that game. And it had the arcade machine that moved. It moved people like you were really in a plane. It was it was amazing. I I do miss the days of the of the sit down inside it video games. Me too, actually. The the, the bench cabinets. Now uh, there are a few arcades uh, nearby in town that have uh, some modern sit down games because they, they still make them not as many, but they're still out there. Um, but you, you mentioned operation Thunderbolt a minute ago, and I wanted to mention that we have, uh, an arcade about a half hour drive from, from where we live. And for, I want to say $10 per person, you get a wristband. And for as long as you're there, you have unlimited plays on every machine in the place. And it's, filled with nothing but classic 80s cabinet games uh 80s pinball machines and maybe a few early 90s machines i know they have the uh the four player simpsons arcade game oh love that one um you've got classic um uh mario brothers and i think what was it just mario brothers was it super mario brothers it was you know, there, were, there it, were both. It, there was both. There were two different games. Uh, Mario Brothers might well have been the arcade cabinet version. That that's more a sort of it's a different kind of platform game. It's a versus right. thing. Uh, yeah, a, a, a single screen exit from exit the right, enter on the left um, with the wraparound, hit insects and other pests and crabs from underneath, and then kick them off the screen. Yeah, that's the one. Get the get the pow box down in the bottom center yeah um they've got that they've got joust they've got chili willy lots of good old classic games the old star wars flight simulator with the wireframe graphics love that game oh yeah so many of and, the star wars games were, were well it was all incredible back in the day mm-hmm. and they have operation thunderbolt which last time i played it um, I, cause all, all you do is you, you just hit the start button because they're programmed to take no coins and every day they just go through and the staff will hit the, um, you know, the, the coin in button until it has like 99 credits in the machine and just let it go. And then throughout the day, they'll just hit those buttons a few more times to keep it running. So I went up to Operation Thunderbolt and I started both players and I just have one Uzi in each hand and I'm just, <laughs> just strolling through these levels, not caring how much damage I soak up. I don't care. I'll just hit player one start and keep going. That's amazing. I'd be there all the time. I'm quite jealous that you've got that within half an hour's drive or at all. And actually, if it was three right. hours away, I'd go all the time with, with the, with the, the widest selection of sodas that I've ever seen. I think there was a couple episodes of, um, movie news that when we all sat down to record it, I would say I've got my, <laughs> I think I talked up the fact I have a maple bacon soda right now and i'm gonna drink it while we record and that's where i got it from uh dozens and dozens of different flavored sodas uh, you know green apple soda caramel soda um uh ginger beer just on and on and on you you could go there and just enjoy the soda selection you don't even have to stay for the games just go for the soda but it, it, it was a good time we should we should go back they recently opened up another location i want to say two miles down the same road. I'm going to go back. I'm just jealous. Just <laughs> jealous. It's not fair. 
if you guys come out, I will pay your admission. How's that? That's fine. That's fine. I I hope we still have airlines soon. <laughs> that's that's a different issue. Uh, let's move on from the master system. You went to the Genesis. Mm-hmm. That is, th- this is where we're getting to some of the, what I consider the more ubiquitous systems. This is what everyone had, either the Genesis or the Super Nintendo. Everyone that you knew at this age had one or the other. Yeah. Except for your, for your uh, rich snobby friends who had both. And so many games. So many games. This is where Sonic came from. Yep. Started with, with that system. I was never any good at Sonic games unless I had the cheat codes. And then it would just be what I, well, what many people call Super Saiyan Sonic, just running through the entire level, not giving a shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I miss cheat codes for things. I, I only recently found out why cheat codes ever existed, which is a bit crazy. Go on. Well, they were put in there so that developers could test the games. Simple as that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want God mode in there so that you can run throughout the levels, not getting killed, just to make sure that you can run throughout all the levels. And so right. they basically just left that stuff in. And they would, they would sort of cover it up a little bit, but they wouldn't go. They wouldn't bother taking the code out. Basically, that would, that would allow that. So, so, yeah, if you could find the code that the developer created to put the cheat in, then there you go. Simple as that. And then people started putting them in on purpose and that kind of thing. And now cheats, oddly, aren't really a thing anymore. Not as much. They, they, they have gone away um, by and large. Now, of course, I, I haven't had an actual console that belonged to me since the Sega Genesis. I never owned... Um, an N64 or a GameCube. Um, you you might be able to say that I co-own a Wii because my wife had one when we met, and I think it's still banging around the house here somewhere. It's not hooked up to anything. Um, and I never had a PlayStation One, Two, Three, or never had an Xbox of any stripe. I've played some of them here and there, but because I never had one of my own, I'm always bad at it. Yeah. I doubt I doubt that I've ever seen anyone worse at playing Halo than me. Yeah, it does take a little bit of practice and experience. Well, because of the amount of time that I spent on PC games, which we haven't gotten to yet, but we will. <clears throat> um, first person shooters on the PC were were big business uh, in the 90s. And I had several and I got very good at them. But once you come to someone like me who spent so much time using a keyboard to play these first person shooters and say, here's a control stick. You got, you got four buttons for your right hand. You got two uh, directional uh, sticks for your left hand. And you got some buttons on the top too. You've never seen this controller before. This thing is crazy. An Xbox controller. This is insane. You, you need to take an extension college course to learn how to use the controller and now use this to play first person shooter. I can't. I yeah. need arrow button. I, I need arrow buttons. I need shift, control, alt, and space. You've got to mentally adjust, haven't you? And it takes all your muscle memory away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I doubt I'd be that good at a PC shooter now. Um, so you 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 started on the Commodore sixty four. Oh yeah. 
that was that was my uh, introduction to computer-based games, which from the word go, when we had the Commodore 64, um, my father was always of the opinion that if a game was available for the computer and also available for the console, the computer version is better. And I doubt he's ever wavered from that position. Um, and for the most part, I have to say that I agree with him. Yeah. Uh, because if it was a computer-based game, not only did the Commodore have, I think they had uh, joysticks that would plug into the Commodore so you could play some of your games that way. But you also have the keyboard interface that could help you out. Um, and I, people who are more tech-savvy than me might might end up disagreeing. But it seemed to me that... Um, any computer-based game, be it on the Commodore or PC, um, their their processing power and their memory were superior to the consoles. So you could get more out of the game than you could on um, the Master System or the Genesis. That that will have been true in some cases, uh, but not necessarily always the case. Uh, especially if you had a Spectrum, but with the Commodore sixty four and and the Amstrad at the time, yeah, there there was. Do you know what the the computers also had the advantage of being so much cheaper to get the games? Oh yes, just very true. Just a fraction of the price, and if they were ever not as good as the console versions, which was probably very rare, then they weren't that much worse that it was worth the money of the console version. Hmm. You, you could accept the drop in quality because the price was so much better for the computer. And you, you also had a much easier time getting illegal copies for the computer. Exactly. Because it was, it was much easier to copy them onto another disc. I don't know where my father got the games that he did, but I know he didn't buy them. <laughs> it, yeah. Who, who, who remembers back in the days of, of VCRs when all your movies and TV shows would be on, on videotape. <clears throat> and instead of having a store-bought copy of the movie with you know the official cover and one movie on the tape, you had a cassette with, say, up to three movies on it that you recorded off of either network television or one of the premium uh, channels, like HBO or the movie channel. That was- it was the same... Go ahead. Uh, yeah, we did that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, it was the same thing with computers. You could get one floppy disk. Was it um, five and a quarter? I think it was back then. <laughs> and they were really floppy disks. Yeah. And you could fit a surprising number of games on those disks. And we would have one label on the, t- on the top of that diskette. And my father in very small print would write the names of all the games that were fit on that disc. And then we would just have to go flip through the dozens and dozens of floppy disks that we had to find the one that had the title written on it that we wanted, throw it in and play that game. Um, for people who had the Commodore back uh, way back when might remember games such as um, uh, Montezuma's revenge, a nice um, old time platform game. Um, spy versus spy. Yeah. That's a, I never figured out. I never figured out what you're supposed to do in that one. I would just aimlessly walk through rooms, try to set traps. I would find the traps and die, and then 
I was always playing against the computer and the computer would always collect all the pieces, get to the rocket and escape game over. I lose. That's always how it worked. I, I, I know we had it. I don't remember anything about the mechanics of how it worked as a game. No, it was, um, to, to try to jog your memory, it was, um, a split screen. Uh, the top half of the screen was you and the bottom half was your opponent. And you, you're traveling, just traveling from room to room. And there are different um, locations and, and objects in the room that you can either search to try to find whatever spy equipment pieces that you're supposed to get. I don't even know what you're trying to build in the game. But you, you have to find important items to collect in order to win. Or you can find uh, trap items that you can then hide in a different room behind one of these objects and wait for your opponent to reach that room and search that object and be destroyed. Right. I, I remember it being a very early split screen game. Mm-hmm. If I don't, I don't remember <clears throat> seeing anything split screen before spy versus spy, which might have been a very taxing thing to do because essentially your computer's running the game twice, mm-hmm. which right now is nothing. But, you know, back in the day, it's keeping track of what two separate players are doing in this world, which might have been, God, quite a feat of computer engineering at the time. Right. In one shared environment. So you always have two separate views with two active characters in in one setting. And back then it was it was rather an achievement for the computer to keep track of that all at once. Yeah, I think it will have been. It must have been a coding nightmare. I also have strong memories of the Commodore game Hero, which stands for Helicopter Emergency Rescue Operation. Essentially, you're a fellow with um, a helicopter jetpack, and you must descend through increasingly deep caverns, dodging um, snakes, boulders, uh, and other deadly obstacles to get to the bottom of the cavern and rescue someone. Ah, uh, yes. This, I, I don't think I had this, but it, it rings a bell. I, I've certainly seen footage of this game. Mm-hmm. Hero. Uh, to, yeah. I, I have a pretty vague recollection of the actual gameplay itself, but I, I just remember really enjoying the game as I was playing it. Yet the memories of actually playing it are surprisingly weak for me these days. I find we tend to remember the emotion more than anything else. I, oh, I well, think... that's why that's why I remember Impossible Mission more than any other Commodore game. Impossible Mission. See, that's another one I, I know nothing about other than I remember it being advertised in computer magazines. As I look at, you know, you do it, you Google image search, look at the cover of the box. I remember that picture printed full page in a, an issue of Amstrad Action. Uh, but it, I don't think we ever got it. Impossible Mission. Of course, the non-copyright way to make a Mission Impossible style game. Right. I need, <laughs> I need to look it up because I, I never saw... I don't remember the cover of the game now because we, we didn't have the actual box. We just had a copy of it. Tape to so tape games and all that stuff. So, d- did you have a disc drive for your Commodore sixty four? Um, you mean as opposed to a cassette drive? Yeah. Oh yeah, 
I we, we use the disk drive far more than we ever use the cassette drive. Well, it was it was far superior, but I I think it was that's quite a rarity. I think most people have just had the tape deck. It's it you know it's that's a bit upmarket mm-hmm. the the disk drive, um, but yeah, just far superior. So much quicker than loading games off tape for forty five minutes. Oh yeah. I remember we had a few games that used the cassette tape, but I no longer remember what they are. Right. Uh, wow. And games on tape were always, again, they were always the cheapest. Yeah. Gosh, I see you can get a copy of Impossible Mission for the Nintendo DS. I had no oh, wow. idea. I might have to get that just so I can steal my stepson's DS and play that game again. <laughs> I might actually stand a chance of, of defeating the game these days because I would have some type of rudimentary understanding of how it's supposed to work. Yeah, because I have no idea. It's uh, one of the most crazy-making games that I ever played. Because You you have your character in in his black pants and black vest and white shirt and white face, and in each room you're dodging robots and you have to manually search every object in the room. And by manually search, that means you stand in front of it and you hold up. And your character will stand there with a progress bar that says searching. If there's an enemy on that platform, you can search until he starts coming your way. Then you have to get out of the way and then continue searching. So you're, you're dodging the bad guys the whole time. And in many levels, um, there is the, the complete lack of floor at the bottom of the screen. So you can fall off the screen. And if you do, you get reset to the beginning of the room. Um, anything that you searched is still searched, but yet you just had to go back to the entrance and work your way through the room again. Um, other rooms have a um, like a a checkerboard, um, al- almost like um, oh, what, what's what's the game? Simon. Remember the game of Simon where you, you have to hit the colored buttons in yeah, order. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a game sort of like that using a, a checkerboard screen and you have to follow the tune. And if you do it well enough and long enough, then you get a puzzle piece that will help you solve the game. Now, the thing that isn't necessarily clear um, when you start the game is it runs on a timer. I want to say it's 60 minutes. And every time you die, you lose some time off that timer. Right. But you can't see the timer. You never know how much time you have left. So you're just always feverishly working your way through trying to get everything done as fast as possible before time runs out. And at some point you're going to, you're going to die. You're going to restart in the room and the screen will just start to static out. And the voice of the villain will come over with evil laughter. And that tells you, Hey, your game is over. No matter how close you got, you you didn't quite make it. Seems Impossible Mission had some very early speech synthesis. Yes, yes, it did. It was it, it frightening to hear the game begin because the main villain of the game, whose name I cannot remember, will in a in a very um, uh, chilling digitized voice say, "Another visitor, stay a while, stay forever." And when he says "stay forever," it's it's really drawn out and. And over the top, and uh, you know, Shatner esque. Uh, it's so much fun to listen to. 
And if you can find any sound clips online from this game, try to find a clip of the sound of your player falling off the bottom of the screen. My parents, my, my mother would make us turn the volume down while we were playing it so she wouldn't have to hear that scream over and over and over again. Oh, yeah. These were the days of uh, computer games just making sounds, just noise, electronic uh, bleeping. And it, it, if you got the wrong one, it would drive other people insane. I, I've never actually been that frustrated by bad sounds in old games. It's, it, it's, I'm numb to it when I'm playing them. Yeah. It, it's easier to ignore or push aside the less than great noises if they're coming from, uh, you know, say, if we're talking about PC games, if it was coming from uh, in the old days, like the Sound Blaster, that was okay. But if you're using the internal sound of the game, so it's not music or speech, it's just electronic bleeps and boops and pings those can get a little bit jarring because they they're really sharp on the ear. But if you had the sound blaster, everything was a symphony. Everything was just beautiful to listen to, even if it wasn't. Absolutely. Um, Commodore 64 version was the original version. It was later ported to the Acorn Electron, BBC, ZX Spectrum, Amstrad, CPC, Atari 7800, Sega Master System, PS2, PSP, DS, Wii, and oddly, the Auric Atmos in 2010. That must have been just somebody playing around. I'll have to see if there's a uh, uh, a browser-based emulator for that one, too. Oh, yeah, you can emulate most of these systems that I've just mentioned. Mm-hmm. If not all of them, actually. Yeah, probably. Uh, moving on, then, PC games. Do you know what would help if I specifically mention these as DOS games? Yes, yes. Because that's, that's the period we're in. Your Wolfenstein 3Ds, your Dooms, your Dark Forces, your Quakes. You weren't kidding about first-person shooters, but I had all of these too. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, and and this, is, this is leaving off plenty. Um, it, it leaves out uh, Duke Nukem. Oh, I should have put Duke Nukem 3D on there. Um, uh, Duke Nukem 3D, Shadow Warrior, um, Heretic. Hexen, um, uh, the the various sequels to Doom and Duke Nukem, uh, Quake had a couple sequels as well. Yeah, um, a lot of these games, um, Wolfenstein 3D in particular, had uh, expansions, not full games, but <clears throat> you could buy expansion packs of like another ten or twenty levels to add on to what you already had. Oh, and there'd be oh. third party expansion packs as well. Oh, with the um, the Duke Nukem uh, custom levels that you could buy, like buy one box off the shelf and it has what? 500 uh, um, user made levels that you could buy and play at home. And a lot of them were just utter shit. That was the stuff. (laughs) That was the stuff. I remember my dad had quite a lot of them for the original quake. Uh, And then quake Two. This was when we started to get 3D acceleration and that kind of thing. Uh, this is where I, I think PCs just left consoles behind. Yeah. Starting at this point. This is where the, the turning point. Um, now, many of the consoles have, have caught up since then. But <clears throat> but back when, when these games were new, I, Quake, you couldn't find anything like it on the consoles when it came out for... Um, 
for Windows. <laughs> saying that, I think there might have been a SNES version or an N64 version. Hang on. Well, they wouldn't have been the same. Oh, God, no. You, you, I, this kind of thing, you'd take the computer version over the console version any day of the week. Let's see. Where is Q in the alphabet? Okay. All right. Just scrolling. Quake 64. I, I seem to remember Quake being the first uh, first-person shooter where uh, alive or dead, your enemies would actually you know, move with your perspective. For example, uh, up to um, Quake, you had Doom and Duke Nukem. And when you came upon an enemy, you would shoot them. They fall to the ground. And no matter where you move, they're always in that same position. If they fall down with their feet pointed towards you on the ground, then their feet are always pointed towards you. Their bodies will rotate on the ground to follow you because the developers didn't take the time to design what those dead bodies would look like from different angles. So they always look the same, no matter where you are quake, everything would move with your perspective. It was a, a fully, uh, I guess, immersive 3d experience with those games. That's what made it a lot of fun. Uh, the same thing was true with unreal tournament, but that was where I lost my ability to keep up with the technology. Um, in Unreal Tournament, you had to use your mouse in order to play the game. And I had never tried it before, and I could not get used to it. I had trained myself so well to use the, the arrow buttons and you know shift and control that I could not incorporate the mouse into my control scheme. So I gave up on playing Unreal and went back to playing Quake and Duke Nukem. It was unreal. That was the turning point for me as well. I, I just, that was where things went a little odd for me. Uh, and I, I started to lose interest in it, I think, which is a bit odd. It, it makes me wonder now, hearing you say that, if it was something with the game or if it was our age. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm not used to talking this much, apparently. <laughs> It, it, you'll get back into it. Don't worry. <laughs> you'll get back into it. I'm just looking at Quake 64 right now. It's taking a little while to load. But I bet it's not that... Won't be the experience that we got on the PC. This was the first... The, the shooter mode that was actually 3D. And people always go, but... Doom and... Like, yeah, right. Doom's not 3D. You just sort of think it is a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's all made to, I don't know, trick you. But it's not 3D. Oh, this is tragic. And it's not it, running well under emulation at all. It, it's not truly 3D in the way that Quake was. Yeah. Quake it, had an actual 3D environment. Uh, mm -hmm. Doom had graphics. Um, oh, I've been killed. In, now, put that down, Richard. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, but that was how we got away with things because there was no 3D acceleration. There was only 2D graphics. Uh, and, and so Quake was... It's a clever trickery with planes and things like that. Uh, <laughs> level planes. And uh, yeah, Quake got serious. And then by Quake 2, then we had like 3D effects cards and stuff like that. Shit really hit the fan. Right. But Quake was the first game that ever gave me nightmares. <laughs> and I, I would believe it too because not only were the were the designs of the levels 
so atmospheric and the enemies were so um, you know, creepy and, and disturbing. But the sound design did a whole lot to add to the, the feel of the game. Absolutely. The sound design sticks in my memory the most with that. The, the, you would hear the groaning of a thing far away that you knew was coming, but you didn't mm. know where it was and that sort of thing. And it was a great game for headphones. Oh, yeah. You'd hear the, the hissing breath of, I don't even know what it was called, that, that flying snake enemy that would float its way at you and spit, spit green goo. Yeah. yeah. That's what it sounded like. Exactly. <laughs> um, uh, the, the undead zombies that would just kind of move very slowly and they would literally throw hunks of their own flesh at you that would leave trails of blood through the air as it, as it flew. Um, I forgot and, about all that. I'm going to have to have a go at quake again, you know, uh, and anytime that you would use an explosive to blow up your enemies, and you would hear the wet, squishy sounds of their bits hitting the walls and hitting the floor. That was yeah, awesome. Is what it was. That, that, <laughs> yes, yes. That's one of the one of the clearest um, oral memories that I have from the game. Brilliant. It, it was brilliant. Um, you have another one on here that everybody loved: X Wing and Tie Fighter, and mm-hmm. X Wing versus Tie Fighter. And yeah, which. It, it ties in with Dark Forces a little bit in <clears throat> this was the days when um, LucasArts games were really ramping up and they're starting to show up everywhere. Um, I had Dark Forces uh, listed as one of the first person shooters and eventually that um, moved on to um, Jedi Knight Dark Forces 2. Yeah. Um, and, and that one was a big deal because instead of <clears throat> um, uh, animating the cutscenes with uh, you know your at the time fairly good um, computer animation, which is essentially a still image with a mouth moving, and that's it. But when you got to Jedi Knight Two, they actually got actors and sets and costumes, and they filmed these cutscenes. Full motion video, as yes, opposed that, to video you. that's not full motion. Um, <laughs> what were and, we thinking? And, and not, on, not only that, but um, I believe that Dark Forces 2 was the first game that I remember playing. Might not be the first. It's probably not the first one that they made, but the first one that I played where the decisions you make in the game affect the storyline that you're following because you have force powers in that game. Yeah. And depending on how you behave throughout the game, it sends you toward the light or the dark side of the force. And the cutscenes that you get moving further into the game change depending on whether you're following the light side or the dark side of the force. So, you know, you had to play that game at least twice in order to see both ends of it. And that was, that, that was a lot of fun. Um, of all the games that my stepson has seen on my emulator on the computer, dark forces is the one that he wants to come back and try playing. I think that might have been the first game to give me sort of like not vertigo. Cause it's not vertigo, but like the the fear of heights thing within a game it was it was one of the two and it had a level that was moving along thin paths on cliff faces mm-hmm. uh and it, it, that was the first time i ever remember feeling that stomach churning oh my god i'm going to fall kind of fear right. from playing a computer game i know it all too well now 
especially watching Alison playing Uncharted downstairs, which is lots of swinging onto things and jumping at the last minute and landing on the very small area that's high up and that sort of thing. It goes right through me. I'm certain that I would last about three minutes in that game before I decide I'm not getting any farther. This was fun. Let's uh, uh, let's go back to my um, to my iOS game, which is blatantly an update from an old Commodore 64 game. I can relive my past with current mobile games. <laughs> I'll just stick with that instead of trying Uncharted. See, I think you'd enjoy like a 3DS, something like that, that you could take to the toilet with you and 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 play in short bursts, but that isn't necessarily all encompassing. More than you would think, I have found myself resisting the urge to swipe my boy's DS and play it for myself. <laughs> yeah. Because if I do it once, then I know he's never getting it back. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. So I have to resist that urge. Now, if they release X-Wing or TIE Fighter on the DS, there might be trouble. You see how I brought it back? Yeah, I did that. Well I, took done. Us, I, I took us off track and now we're back again with... Um, with DOS-based flight simulators. And X-Wing and TIE Fighter were probably two of the best that they ever had. Hell yeah. Um, I, I'm going to have to do a, a video or something covering these games because th- this they're coming up a lot, and this is the third episode of this show I've recorded. And I, I, I think it, it's worth a look at just how significant these things were. On the PC back in the day, uh, they, they oh god, I have so many hours and hours spent flying my fucking X-wing and shooting at Tie Fighters, uh, they, or or your A-wing, or, or my your A-wing. B-wing, yeah, or, or Y-wing. It was all in there, and it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Or your your Tie Fighter, your Tie Bomber, your Tie Interceptor. And then they made a new one for that game, and I can't remember what it was called. Was the that tie- when? When did I wonder when we first got to play the bad guys in Star Wars games? Because you, you, you start Tie out, Fighter. Might, I think Tie Fighter might have been the first one. I'm trying to think because Dark aren't in, aren't you the bad guys in Dark Forces? Uh, no. I if you choose the dark side of the force in the sequel, then yes, but. Um, in the original Dark Forces, your character is Kyle Katarn, who I believe was created for that game, but he showed up in other places in the Star Wars Expanded Universe after that game was made. Right. Um, but no, he's um, he's a Han Solo type character. He's a mercenary. Yeah, he's not. Uh, he's not an evil bad guy. And right, he's not. Think, he's not the Empire. I think he might be former Imperial. But now he's a freelancer and the the rebellion hires him to go find information and, and track down um, clues for the, the new Dark Trooper project, which is um, an advanced stormtrooper uh, robot right. weapon. Um, and all this is after the first level of the game, which lets you familiarize yourself with the controls and uh, how you interact with the environment. It's essentially a tutorial a training level but at the same time it is what rogue one used to be before they threw out the expanded universe and decided to start over again because the first level of dark forces shows how the rebellion got the plans for the death star oh yeah it does doesn't it Mm -hmm. so i think yeah tie fighter then 
would have been the get to play the Empire for the first time. I think all the early Star Wars games were just trying to be the movie or closely follow the movie as much as they did in those days. Yeah. And you got to, you know, they, they were all basically that with a couple of exceptions that weren't really great standout things until this shoot down the X-Wings. I was in heaven. It was, it mm-hmm. was amazing. And manage your shield power and. Oh yeah. It said all your shields to the front because you are always playing chicken with your, yeah. <laughs> with your <laughs> adversaries um, or all to the back or distribute them front and back. You can set your, uh, your speed uh, either have your weapons firing alternately from, yeah, you know, from different corners, or you could set all four of your blasters to fire at once, but you can't fire them as fast if you do it that way. Then you got torpedoes. Try to get the lock, or just try to shoot from the hip. So many different options, and um, uh, wingmen. If you were uh, the head of your squad, you could send all the the fighters that that answer to you, you could send them out to hit this one target while you go hit another one. And then they finish, they come back and say, what's next boss. So you can multitask that way. It's so many different options with that game. And it was a lot of fun. I probably said this on the show before. I can't remember, but they've been on my steam wish list for so long and it might finally be time to just get them because they've been updated to run on modern hardware. Uh huh. Uh, which is very useful because if you've ever tried running a DOS game recently, it's uh, easier said than done. <laughs> That's true. Um, in fact, there are sort of DOS emulators, which is odd, but that's what they do. Uh, can't find my wish list on Steam. Never mind. Closing Steam. <laughs> uh, what else do we have? Uh, this, you played the Star Trek 25th anniversary game. That's come up more than once as well. Oh, this is not the first time it's been discussed on this show. No, this is this is a common one, but I I think that a lot of this will be due to the number, the kind of people that I'm talking to anyway. Fair at this enough. point, you know, we're all kind of we we're all kind of Star Trek fans, mm-hmm. some more than others. But I actually don't know of anyone within the Simply Syndicated universe that is like oh, yeah, Star Trek, not really, not really <laughs> keen. No one has ever ex- expressed that to me. I absolutely have my uncle to thank for being able to play the 25th anniversary Star Trek game. Um, He and it's my father's sister and her husband. They lived out in uh, California about 20, 25 years ago. And when I was 16, I took a road trip with my grandparents and a different cousin uh, out to San Francisco. We did Disneyland for a couple days in Anaheim and then to San Francisco for about a week. And while we were out there visiting them, we went to, I think it was one large computer store. I, I remember nothing about the store except for one rack near the front. And looking back on it, it was a rack of you know, essentially like, you know, $10 or less. Okay. Everything, everything on the rack was $10 or less. And my uncle pulled me aside and he said, go ahead and pick any one thing you want. And I didn't realize that it was just a $10 and under rack. So I was like, oh my God, anything on here I can have. This is amazing. It's Christmas in, in July. <laughs> well, so I'm looking yeah. around and I see 
Star Trek, 25th anniversary. And I see Kirk and Spock and McCoy on the cover. I say, oh my God, I've heard about this game. I must have it. And I, I furiously grab it off the rack and I say, it has to be this. So he says, okay. And he grabs it. And as we're checking out, he puts on the thing. He pays for it. And he gives me the game. And it's wonderful. And I get back home and I rip open that box. I take out the disc and I put it into my PC and it doesn't work because it was the Judgment Rights expansion pack and not the actual game. Gutted. I was destroyed. I was inconsolable when I found this out. So much so that if I remember correctly, when my uncle got word in California that it was an expansion pack and not the actual game, he bought the game and mailed it to me. Oh, bless him. That's brilliant. Then you had the game and the expansion pack. That's which is right. Cool. And that game was wonderful because they had the original voices. That was one of the best parts about it. And I recently uh, acquired that game for an emulator on my computer. So I was able to replay that original 25th anniversary game. And I made sure to do it all with the original um, dialogue turned on. And I called my wife into the room and I said, you have to see some of this. And <laughs> we listened to Shatner delivering some of the dialogue in that game. And we were just rolling. Yeah. Yeah. William Shatner. He, he was at peak Shatner when recording for that game. I need to play it again. Mm-hmm. I think it needs to be emulated. It's outstanding. like Just cartoonish enough to be light and silly, but still uh, graphically ad- advanced enough to feel, um, at, at the time that it came out, like almost cutting edge. Well, it, it will have been. Because it, yeah, it, it was an early CD game as well. So, you know, that's where you're starting getting into things like speech and and that kind of thing because you needed you needed the space to put the sound files because right. this was before mp3 and the uh the the graphics and the interface for the game all of it very sharp is a very well put together game and having the original voices on there was just icing on that particular cake it was a lot of fun to play and having as much experience as i did with the sierra quest games helped to you know, ease the learning curve for that game. So I was able to jump into it really quickly. I didn't, I didn't play any of this Sierra Quest games. No, you you never had uh, King's Quest or Space Quest or Police Quest? No, I, I, I very much remember them uh, existing, but I've never played any of these. Uh, yeah, they were, they were a big thing. I, I think they're very sort of puzzle-based, aren't they? And that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. didn't do well with that kind of game when I was a kid. Uh, I, I think they'd have been lost on me. I didn't have the patience or the, the thought process to deal with them. Um, it, it definitely takes patience. It takes good memory because as you're moving through that world, everyone you interact with basically needs something. It, it's a collection of side quests is really what it is. Every person you interact with, they need something. So you have to go find that thing solve whatever puzzle you have to solve to get it. You bring it to them and then they give you something else, which you then use to give to another character who needs it. Rinse, repeat throughout various different settings. And I didn't realize until I went back and tried some of those on my emulator that I don't think I have the patience for them anymore. Back when I was young, they were just nothing but 
an endless flood of enjoyment yeah to see what what has sierra done with the graphics and how good do they look now and how smooth is this action and how does the story unfold and how's the music the music was usually very very good but these days it takes so long just to walk from one end of the town to the other to talk to the person that you need to talk to to get the coin that goes in the thing that gets you the rope that gets you the bowl it it takes a lot of time to get through it oh yeah i would I would almost prefer just finding someone doing a speed run on YouTube and I could just follow it along that way. It'd be easier, wouldn't it? Um, but yeah, I'm finding I have a lot more patience for these things now, or, or I can, I think it's about def- developing the, me- the methodical thinking, you know, not just doing stuff at random, mm-hmm. um, which is why I'm able to enjoy like the Zelda games now. And I, I think they would, would have been totally lost on me at the time that they came out. Um, yeah, and the all the, the police quest, King's Quest. Um, looks like they reissued King's Quest not long ago. Uh, but I do remember hearing about all of these games, seeing the adverts and stuff like that. Gosh, Sierra have made a lot of games. Oh, yeah. It, it was a big day when they would, when, when Sierra would announce hey, you know, these game series like Space Quest and, and uh, Police Quest were on like the fifth game for each series. And graphics have come so far since we began the series. We're going back and they would take the original game, update all the graphics, all the interfaces, and they would re-release the first game in the series, but um, uh, dressed up to look modern. To, to match the the visual aesthetic of of the most recent games. Yeah, and, that that's quite heard, a common thing now, isn't it? Uh, th- these days, yeah, you see it a lot more often. And you would think that more people would consider that kind of a cop-out. It's like, oh, why am I going to play the same game over again? I played every single one because rarely do you see such a good example of what was old is new again. Because if you take those quest games and you and you redress them with the the current um, interface style. Because originally it used to be you control your character with the arrow keys to walk left, right, up, down, and then you would type in your command, talk, guard, look, room, get item. Excuse me. Um, That was how you interacted with everything in that world was you would have to type out your commands. And then a few games into the series, they switched it to a point and click interface. So when you take the old games and you update it for that, it really was in almost every way a whole new game. The only difference is a lot of the puzzles, you sort of know how you're supposed to solve it and you know how the story is going to end. But the way that you get there would be so different from how it happened originally that it was in in all the ways that mattered a a whole new game and uh, it made it a whole lot of fun. I I think it's actually a totally reasonable thing for game companies to do. Um, and I'm saying this playing through the, the fourth remake of Resident Evil. <laughs> you know, it, it's... It, it, I'm, I'm sure that the original one was great on the PlayStation when it came out, but the fact is graphics have moved on, control methods have moved on, gameplay expectations have moved on, so redoing it for the PS4 is not a bad idea. Mm-hmm. And And the same applies to Sierra games. Of course, update them. Uh, I don't. I don't see it as a cop out. I. I just see it as something that needs doing. 
the, the other thing that it allowed Sierra to do when they decided to update those games was they could get a little, um, they could get a little meta and have a little fun with themselves uh, in the Space Quest series. When you get into, I want to say it was about uh, the fourth game in the series, which deals heavily with time travel. There are points in the game that allow you to travel back in time to a previous Space Quest game. So when you get out of your little time pod, you have your your VGA 256 color, well-pixelated uh <laughs> player character of Roger Wilco walking around this old EGA 16 color uh, environment that they pulled directly from the old game. That's very cool. You you have the exact look of the old game, but you have your new looking character walking around and interacting with it. They're uh, poking some fun at at themselves because they, they know where they came from and they know where they've taken these games. They decided to put it together and (laughs) It's. I think it's an important thing to do because it it does remind you. I, I've noticed this with the Sonic game that's just come out. We we remember the look of old games much more fondly than we should. And oh, yeah. when you see updated versions, you don't necessarily see how much better it is. You just sort of have your memories warped of, isn't this how it always looked? Because back then to us, it kind of did. Uh I've totally lost my train of thought as I was speaking. Damn it. Uh, Sonic games, new Sonic, old Sonic. Looking the same. Oh, yes. So you put in a mode in your game where you can view the old graphics, such as traveling through time. I've seen it done with just a toggle switch on things like uh, Remake of Monkey Island. And in fact, the the HD remaster of uh, Halo that came out on the Xbox 360 just press the select button and switch back to original Xbox graphics if you like and you do it and you scream about the dirt that's just been rubbed in your eyes and you put it back immediately <laughs> and I, I can't help but feel that while it yeah you can put that in there under the guise of well you might want the fun re-memories of seeing Halo in the original graphics it's like no you've put that in there so we know damn well how much work you've put into this that's that's what it is. But to be fair, I don't mind that. And I like it. And, you know, how I did surely it always look this good. Oh my God. No, turn it back. Turn it back. It's horrible. <laughs> the last thing I want to ask you about, you've just written Spider-Man. Yeah. I, I, I should not have put that at the end because it, it's certainly not uh, a big and momentous uh, game to close a discussion on, but, um, it was the last thing that I thought of when I was putting the list together and it served as the best lesson that I ever had for don't try to overreach. Not to say that the game itself overreached. Um, I, the game, it, it might be awful. It might be great. It's hard for me to tell these days because it's been so long since I played it. Do you but, know, sorry, do you know which specific Spider-Man game we're talking about? Cause there's 82 million of them. Yeah, there, there are a lot of them. And I, I don't think it didn't have any sort of a, a subtitle, or uh, um, you know, a, a, an extra second title to go with it. I'm going to see if I can track down when. Uh, right, there is one like that for the PlayStation in 2000, which might well have been out on other things. I'm just saying the shot I have of it says. It is is a PlayStation box. What did that come? PlayStation Game Boy Color N sixty four Dreamcast and Windows. 
so if you were playing PC games around 2000, which judging by your gaming history you were, mm-hmm. it might well be that one. Uh, Marvel CD-ROM, Capcom fighting game, the Web of Fire? No, that's... There's that's so many. High. There's so many. And yeah, there, there, are, there are a lot. For, for, for people who played Spider-Man games back then, um, they might remember it as the one where the final boss in the game is fighting Dr. Octopus, who has been infected by the Carnage symbiote. There's... Um, interstitial narration by stan lee between the different levels i i think it's this one i think it's this 2001 2000 you right. I, I can see venom on the screenshots as well and it is Going the through one, the week. yeah it's the only one just called spider-man but like us anyway there there are lots of spider-man yeah. games to say the least so very few of them are good which is a shame but then, like the films, it's just like, just keep making them. They'll buy anything we write Spider-Man on. <laughs> yep, pretty much. Uh, but, um, but that's not to say they're all bad. Yeah, not not to say that I bought the game, of course. I, I found another way to get it. Um, I think this was before the days of torrents, but there was still um, peer-to-peer uh, file sharing. Like... I think LimeWire. LimeWire, that was exactly, that yep. was the one I was thinking of, yeah. LimeWire and Kazaa were were two of the more common ones. And uh, what I found was you could get individual files, like a zip file or one song, and you would have, to, if you wanted an album, you would have to put it together one song at a time. But <clears throat> eventually, when you learn of the existence of BitTorrent, so you can get an entire album or many albums all at once, then that's a whole new world. But I got the zip file for the Spider-Man game and I installed it, opened it up and it ran, but my computer was not up to the task. So what should have been uh, Spider-Man, you know, smoothly and quickly jumping through the level and punching bad guys and, and, you know, shooting webs you get to the end of the first level and there's a bomb and you have to put the bomb in the, the bank vault and close the vault so when the bomb explodes it doesn't kill everyone and there's a timer on the bomb of i think 60 seconds now the timer runs at the same speed that the game is able to run on the machine Ah. and with with the speed of my machine that 60 second countdown took about five minutes which is good because that's about how long it took my character to slowly (laughs) walk across the it oh i don't know how i managed to stick to it long enough to play that game because the frame rate was so slow it was just barely this side of unplayable most people would consider it unplayable but i was so fascinated to see the rest of the game that i kept at it and plus it's spider-man right yeah, those were the days, peer-to-peer file sharing of games and other apps. I, this might be where I got my early Photoshops and Dreamweavers and that kind of thing from. Mm-hmm. Those were the days. Kazaa. God. <laughs> yeah. And LimeWire. I feel like there was another one. Something X. I don't know. There were just so many back in the day, and we all kind of moved from one to the another when they all got shut down. 
Right. And now just good luck shutting down BitTorrent. Yeah, that, that, that is not going to happen. <laughs> not at all. Um, well, and that, that brings us to the end. Yeah, should have ended with the with the Star Trek game, but but that was that was my fault for composing the list the way I did. <laughs> That's okay. I'll 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 swap it around in the edit. Not really. No, you won't. No, no you won't. <laughs> um, but thank you for that, Scott. That was brilliant. Oh well, thank you for having me on. It's been um, like we discussed before we started recording. It's been I'd say uh, coming up on about a year since I've done any podcasting at all. Um. I know I appeared on Prime Direction for an episode. I think I've done one or two Admirals tables uh, in the past year. But with um, with house hunting and with our packing and then with the move and trying to get settled into the new house, it's just not been uh, something that I could make time for. And now that I have a workable office and I have my microphone, my headset and everything where I need it to be, I can start getting back into the game. And when I saw that you were looking for people to come on the show, I figured it was a perfect opportunity. And it's been, this has been a lot of fun. This was a a good discussion to uh, get my podcasting feedback under me again. Absolutely. You'll be back on movie news before you know it. (laughs) I I appreciate you keeping a a seat warm for me. I've, uh, I've missed it. I don't know. I don't know that Saturdays have gotten any better schedule wise, but uh, it, it's been nice every time I listen to uh, you guys having the discussions, knowing that uh, uh, if if my scheduling ever opens up for that, that I'm able to come back. I, I definitely appreciate it. And right. I appreciate you letting me come on this show as well. Absolutely. Anytime, anytime. Uh, thank you for listening, everybody. I'll be back with somebody else. I don't know who at this point. So, but somebody, uh, uh, I hope you enjoyed this this trip down memory lane. Uh, don't forget to check out our other gaming content that we've got on Simply Syndicated, which is Simply Syndicated Gaming News, uh, which is out every week. Uh, there's some other stuff on there. Just go and check it all out. Uh, and take it or leave it, of course. That seems relevant in this particular situation. That's a tech show. Kind of gamey. Um, so, until next time, everybody. Thank you for listening. I'll see you later. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.